0: Amen for that. Thank you God for not letting us slip out of your abundant mercies. Your cross is our door to redemption. Your death is our fullness of life. That day how forgiveness flowed down as a flood. Magnificent, marvelous, matchless love. Aren't you glad and thankful for the love of God toward mankind? Uh, And we are the blessed recipients of his great grace. Well, thank you uh, for, again, joining us this morning. I do apologize for not being here last Sunday. Um, You know, I I drove up on Friday. We had committed to pick up my nephew at the airport, uh, and he was the MC of the 40th anniversary celebration of my brother and his wife. Um, and so he would, there would have been, it would have been okay for us to miss out on Sunday morning, or on, on Friday, the, the, the celebration Saturday, but it would have been a kind of a big hole for him not to be there. So, uh, Barb and her wisdom decided to stay home, uh, and said, why don't you and your nephew go, um. Make of that what you wish. But anyway, uh, you and your nephew head up to Messina. So we got to Syracuse, picked him up, no issues. Bright sunshine, in fact, uh, in Syracuse. But then less than 70 miles away, because Watertown is 70 miles from Syracuse, less than 70 miles away, it was a different story. My brother asked me how the trip went. I said, well, I can't tell you from exit 45 to Lafargeville where the exits were because we couldn't see them. Um, it was snowing. So we saw a couple of snow, police cars that had, you know, gone off the road and some other vehicles that had gone off the road. Um, but we didn't see any exits between there. And then, you know, you have to realize people that live in Messina that are from Messina, they don't really understand what it means to, to have a hard time driving in snow because that's what they do all the time. Uh, so on Sunday, uh, that we decided that we would drive back. He would, he would lead the way, and I would follow him. His skills, because he's lived in Messina his whole life. Mine are, you know, 30 years removed. But anyway, um, I'd say, okay, if you lead, I'll follow. I've done that before, followed my brother in places I shouldn't have gone. But anyway, um, you lead, I'll follow. So again, we get all the way through Watertown, no issues. And then we get to, oh, between Pulaski and Parrish, And you know what happens there, right? It was snowing worse on Sunday than it was on Friday, okay? More exits that we couldn't see when we went by. But finally, when we got just before exit 31, it cleared up again, and there was no snow on the ground, it was fine. So thank you for your prayers for me as I traveled. I'm very grateful for you upholding me that way, uh, and I listened to Isaiah's uh, message on the way home. Very good. Thank, uh, Thankful for an individual who can step up on short notice. Normally we have ben, uh but things have been kind of hectic in their home for the last uh, couple of weeks, and I didn't want to just drop it on him and say, hey, can you, he would have. He would have, but it's not always fair to just kind of drop that on people. So anyway, praise the Lord for individuals who can fill in on short notice. But we're going to jump back into our study in 2 Peter this morning. Um, Last time we were together, we began looking at chapter 2 of 2 Peter. uh, And this whole chapter of 2 Peter, chapter 2, is devoted to one thing. And it's not a thing that we necessarily like to talk about. Okay, But it is a thing that we definitely must talk about because if we don't talk about it, it can catch us off guard, it can catch us unawares, and it can wreak havoc in the church. The thing that chapter 2 is dedicated to is the idea of false teachers how to know who they are, how to know when they're teaching things that are false and what to do. There it talks about their very nature and their character. And Peter knew that false teachers were present and a very real threat to the church in his day. But the Holy Spirit, God knew that it would be a problem down through church history. So here we are in 2022, almost 2023. Can you believe it? Just a month away from a new year. But here we are uh, thousands of years later and guess what? We're still dealing with the peril of false teachers, with the problem of false teachers. And if the church isn't aware of the fact, the truth, that false teachers exist, we might just accept what anybody teaches. Because after all, They call themselves a pastor. They call themselves a student of the Bible. They say that they're teaching truth. You know, there's never a false teacher who raises his hand up and says, hey, I've got a false message for you. They don't do that. They try to dress it up. They try to make it sound as enticing and as as appealing as possible. But Jesus Christ himself warned us that false teachers would come. In fact, he said in the Gospel of Matthew, he said, Take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. So the deceivers are out there, and they lie about their intentions, they lie about who they are and who they represent. Peter wanted his readers to be ready for the onslaught that was to come. So a couple of weeks ago, we saw the way of the false teachers and the way they work. They sneak in, doing their best not to be recognized as false teachers. And when they get in, they preach destructive heresies, which are designed to do maximum damage. That's the way they work. That's their intention. They deny the very one who bought them with his blood, and in so doing, they are securing their own destruction. You see, they don't teach the truth about Jesus. They don't teach the truth about so many other things. And if we are not careful, we can get sucked into that. And that's why I've told you many times that don't just listen to what I preach behind the pulpit or say to you in a conversation. Check it out. The Bible, the Word of God, is our authority. So if somebody stands up here and says something that doesn't come from the pages of the Scriptures or contradicts the pages of Scripture, then you need to take them to task on it. You need to call them to account. You need to remind them that, hey, we are accountable to the Word of God and to God Himself. That is so important. I've said it in every church that I've pastored, that we must be certain that the person who is preaching is preaching truth because it's easy to get sidetracked. It's easy to be led astray. And it's never the person's intention to be led astray. It's always the person's intention to lead them astray, the false teacher, but it's never the person's intention to be led astray. So as we get started this morning, let's uh, let's ask God to bless our time in his word, and even though it's a difficult topic to address, let's ask God that he would encourage our hearts through our study of scripture this morning. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you today, and we do thank you for your love for us, your love that was demonstrated through the death of your son on the cross of Calvary. Father, that death cost you a great deal, cost you your only son, cost Jesus his life, It was not a pleasant experience that he endured leading up to the cross, nor being on the cross. But Father, three days later, he he rose from the grave. He defeated death. He secured Satan's defeat. And he secured for mankind the opportunity to be restored to a relationship with you. A right relationship with you. And Father, that's what... Scripture is all about, that's what the Gospels are all about. The very word gospel means the good news of Jesus Christ. And so, Father, we want to protect the good news. We want to make sure that we as a church stand on the truth of the Word of God. We want to protect it, we want to project it, we want to tell it to others. We want people to understand and know that we are uh, all about the life-changing, eternal message of salvation for mankind. Father, help us to do well at that, especially this time of year with Christmas coming up. People are a little more willing to listen to us talk about the one who was born in a manger. That wasn't just any baby born in a manger, that was your son, the savior of mankind, the Messiah that the Jews had so long awaited for. So Lord, as we uh, seek to project truth during this Christmas season, may you bless that. May you help us to take advantage of the opportunities you bring our way to share the gospel with others. And may we see individuals come to know Jesus as their Savior during this Christmas season and in the new year to come. Father, bless our time. Encourage us as we look at this passage of Scripture in 2 Peter chapter 2. May you use it to help us be on guard, to be aware, to know what is all around us, and to be committed to knowing and standing for what is true. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we get started this morning, I do want to read, uh, start off with verses 10 through 17. Uh, it's not on the screen. You can remain seated, but let me read it for you. Second Peter chapter 2, verses 10 through 17. It says, And especially those who walk according to the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise authority, they are presumptuous, self-willed, They are not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries, whereas angels who are greater in power and might do not bring a reviling accusation against them before the Lord. But these false teachers, like natural brute beasts made to be caught and destroyed, speak evil of the things they do not understand and will utterly perish in their own corruption." and will receive the wages of unrighteousness as those who count it pleasure to carouse in the daytime. They are spots and blemishes carousing in their own deceptions while they feast with you, having eyes full of adultery that cannot cease from sin, enticing unstable souls. They have a heart trained in covetous practices and accursed children. They have forsaken the right way and gone astray following the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. But he was rebuked for his iniquity. A dumb donkey, speaking with a man's voice, restrained the madness of the prophet. These are wells without water, clouds carried by a tempest, for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Whew. That's heavy, isn't it? That sounds like something that you don't want to have said about you or to happen to you. So let's embark now on a study this morning on what is what these false teachers are like and what they try to accomplish. In verses 10 through 17, the passage that we just read, we saw the despicable nature of false teachers, the despicable nature. Peter follows this statement here about the importance and trustworthiness of God's word in verse 21 of chapter 1 with a sobering warning. You see, remember a couple of weeks ago we talked about the fact that the word of God was written by holy men of God as they were borne along by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit led them and instructed them and burdened them with what to say using their own personalities. They communicated to us the truth of God's word, uh, the fact that God inspired his writers to write his word. That's how we protect ourselves from false teachers, okay? So he moves on from that glorious uh, explanation of the the magnificence, if you will, of God's word to talking about this warning of false teachers. He wants believers, he wants you and I to be aware that they are and there will continue to be wolves dressed in sheep's clothing waiting to defo- devour the flock of Jesus Christ. That is the church of Jesus Christ. It's, it's a truth, You can't deny it. You can't say that it's not true. There are false teachers among us in our world today. And can I tell you this? It's so much easier to get hooked up with them today because we have this tool we call the internet. I'm not in any way opposed to the internet, but you have to understand that with all of the good things that come as a result of the internet, there's a lot of bad things that come with it as well. And we have to be on guard. You can't just click on somebody and say, hey, he says he's this or he says he's that. You need to do a deep dive and to find out what they really believe. And actually, sometimes you find out more by what they don't tell you they believe than what they tell you they do believe. Does that make sense? In other words, if it's something that's crucial and critical to the well-being of the church, oftentimes they don't talk about it because they don't believe it. And if they told you the truth of what they believe, then they could probably be guilty of libel and all that kind of other stuff. So they leave it out. They don't record it. If you asked us, and I think it's on our website, our doctrinal statement, it doesn't leave much out. It tells you what we believe and what we stand for because we're not ashamed. And we want people to know what we stand for because the truth has a tendency of drawing people in. And so as we present the truth, people say, hey, that's what I'm looking for. That's what I want. And so they come and they check us out. But be so very careful in the age in which we live because it's so hard to get sucked into stuff that looks good on the surface, but it doesn't carry through once you get into it all the way. Verses 10, 11, we see the character of false teachers. It, it's, it's the very nature of who they are. First of all, we see that they have a defiant walk a defiant walk. They walk according to the flesh in the lusts of uncleanness. Now, when we talk about this idea of walk, what does it mean to walk? Well, it means to continue on one's journey. They're continuing on this day after day after day after day in the same way. In what way? Well, in the flesh of the lust of uncleanness. You see, when the Bible talks about flesh, it, it it's mostly a reminder of what we were before we came to know Jesus as our Savior. It's the flesh. It's the way of the world. When we talk about how we've become born again, how Jesus Christ has saved us, we don't talk about the flesh anymore because we don't live in the flesh We live by the faith of the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. So walk means to continue on in one's journey. Flesh here uh, has the idea of the seat of sin in man. That's what Vine says. The flesh is the seat of sin. It's where sin reigns. It's where sin rules. It's where sin has its way all the time. That's what the flesh is. Strong's has this note. It says, it denotes mere human nature, the earthly nature of man, apart from the divine influence, and therefore is prone to sin and opposed to God. That's what the flesh is. It's prone to sin, Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Uh, we sing that, uh, here I raise my ebony. It's an old, old hymn. But it reminds us that I am prone to wander in my sinful nature. That's why it's so important for me to be committed to the word of God, to read it, to memorize it, to study it, to apply it to my life. So when the sin comes my way and I'm tempted to sin, I have something to use to refute it. And that's the word of God. Can I tell you this? If the word of God worked for Jesus when he was being tempted by Satan, it will work for us. We can be absolutely confident that if we start sharing scripture or speaking scripture to Satan, he's not going to hang around. He's going to turn tail and run because he doesn't like the scriptures. That's why Jesus quoted Scripture as an example for us, so that when we have these these battles in our life, we use the Word of God. They walk in the flesh, in the lust of uncleanness. Lust here is defined as a longing or a craving for what is forbidden. Lust is not talked about in positive senses at all, it's always negative. So we don't want to be walking in the lusts of anything. Especially the lust of the flesh, or the lust, as Peter says here, the lust of uncleanness. This is a word that means the act of becoming polluted. Okay, Um, and so when we think about, yeah, I don't, I don't like people who just throw things out their car window or or whatever. I was sitting, I pulled into a parking lot one day at the spa. Uh, in South Africa, a grocery store, and I I put my car in park, and I think I probably was replying to a a message or something, um, and I saw this guy open his car door and throw out a big bag of garbage right under the parking lot. And you know me, sometimes I don't have a, I don't, I don't use discretion. I do use discretion. Sometimes I act on impulse. Let's put it that way. Okay, so he throws out this bag of garbage. And you know, Cape Town is very, very windy. So the garbage starts blowing around. So I get out of my car and I knock on his window. He rolls his window down. He says, I said, I think you dropped something. He looked at me. And I said, this trash that you just threw out your car, it's blowing around. You need to go pick it up. He said, why don't you mind your own business? I says, it is my business. I live here. And you throwing garbage out the door of your car makes it so the cape, the beautiful cape gets polluted. You're not even from here. I said, I've lived here a long time. So it is, my, it is my hometown and I don't like it when people mess it up. So he actually got out and picked up his garbage. But you see, that's the idea polluted. We as Christians don't want to be polluted with the sinfulness of the world or the sinfulness of false teachers. We want to make sure that we are doing our best to stay clean, to stay pure. When people spout out false teachings, I believe that I have a responsibility to counter that, to speak the truth into that situation. Again, sometimes people don't like it when I, when I do that. And people say, mind your own business. I say, Well, it is my business because you're trying to lead people astray and it's wrong. What you're saying is not true. It doesn't come from the pages of scripture. That's why we back up and we say again that at faith got to get the right church. At Calvary Baptist Church, our sole authority for faith and practice is the word of God. We don't deviate from it. We stand on it whether it's popular or not popular. We stand on the truth. And we refuse to walk away from it. You see, the walk of these false teachers, though, could actually be described like this. They continue their journey following after those cravings and desires that are opposite to the desires of God, which result in becoming polluted. We have this thing on our cars called a catalytic converter. What's that supposed to do? supposed to cut down on the pollution that comes out of your car, right? We are concerned about our world becoming polluted and and not taken care of, so we take steps to keep that from happening. We must take steps as Christians to keep ourselves from becoming polluted. That's what Peter wants us to understand. When you think of these false teachers in the light of the fact that that's their goal, to pollute the child of God or pollute anybody, they somehow lose their attraction, don't they? What they look like, their big fancy setups and all the money they have at their disposal, doesn't look quite as attractive when you say, hey, you know what, you're a polluter, from the word of God, you, dra- you distract people, you-, you draw people away from the truth, stop it. They-, they look a lot less attractive when you point out their true nature and their true character. That's what Peter's doing here. He's pointing out the true nature. In fact, you know, here's, here's the picture that Peter is painting. Um, they're actually living in a cesspool, And they're trying to invite people to come and be part of their cesspool cesspool swimming party. Who would want to do that? Nobody. But when they dress it all up, it looks rather attractive. So therefore, Peter is pointing out the fact that, hey, it's not as attractive as you might think it is. Not only do they have a defiant walk, but they despise authority. They think little of or they look down on those in a position of power or authority. It does not matter to them if this authority is, is human authority or angelic authority or divine authority. They simply have no respect for authority. They don't listen to it. They don't pay attention to it. In fact, oftentimes, they actually go against it and try to get other people to join their movement and go against it with them as well. So they despise authority. They don't like the fact that somebody is going to hold them accountable and point out the error of their way. They are disrespectful. In other words, they are shameless and irreverent. They, they, they make fun of that which is divine and sacred in nature. And they don't feel bad about it. <laughs> I, I, I've heard from time to time people who um, can be described as, as vulgar preachers. In fact, I saw an advertisement in one of our uh, papers in, in Cape Town before we left, uh, and, and it was for a biker church. We serve alcohol and we swear. At our church. That's how they advertised it. Really? Doesn't the Bible say we're supposed to be different? We're not supposed to live the way the world is? But, but they had no shame. It didn't matter to them that they were actually living like the world and trying to say that they were Christians. That's what our world has become. We want to make sure that we are not like that. That we are not disrespectful to the truth of God's word. We also see in our text here that they are self-willed and domineering. Vines says this word denotes who, one who dominated by self-interest and inconsiderate of others and arrogantly asserts his own will. Wow. Another one of those things that you and I wouldn't say, hey, I really enjoy being around that kind of stuff. I mean, I mean, we know people who are that way, and we don't really want to be around one who is always interested in their own things, always talking about how good they are and what, what they can do for you, and they don't need anybody else or anything else, and they're, they're, they're looking for the, the praise of themselves, self-willed and domineering. He also says that they are disdainful. Now, That means that they're not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries. It means to speak evil of one. uh, It means to rail on to or to revile, um, to show open disrespect. It appears that these uh, people are willing to talk bad about anyone, including angels, because they have it all wrapped up. We know what it does we, we, we are the final authority. We are the end, and we are the beginning. There, there's also a consensus here that when they, when they speak evil of the angels, that, that, that these angels are not necessarily the wicked angels, they're the angels that are doing good, doing right. This open disrespect of the false teachers is toward any ministry, any power, any dignitary, the word of God, Jesus Christ Himself. They don't really care. They have this disrespect of anything outside of themselves. Verse eleven says that the good angels who fear, who are far more powerful than these false teachers, they don't even dare take on these demonic forces. But you know what they do? They leave them for the Lord to deal with. Wow, that's a lesson for us. I've talked with people before, and they say, oh, I just bind that evil spirit. Oh, really? Where do you get that authority from Scripture? I mean, Michael the archangel wouldn't even do that. He said, I stayed away from it. We, as, as Christians, don't have any authority or right to bind that evil spirit. We don't have the power to do it. So what do we do? We do what the angels do. We do what the good angels do. They leave it to God. We let God deal with it. We let God take care of it. Why? Because God is all-powerful. Satan is not. We give Satan too much credit sometimes. We think that he's more powerful than he is. We just need to relegate him to God's authority and say, God, you take care of him. I can't. I can't do the battle against him, so you battle on my behalf. And that's why when we think about the cross and Jesus said, it is finished, Satan no longer has a stranglehold on us. He only has the power and the authority that we allow him to have in our lives. We can submit to the power of God and, and have God defeat and take care of the battles with Satan. We don't have to worry about it. No believer, this is, listen, this is what MacArthur says, he says, no believer should be so boldly foolish as to mock or command the power of supernatural demons, especially Satan. We can't take them on. We leave it to God. And we know that God is already able to defeat them. So we just leave it there. As I look at this list of characteristics, it reminds me some of the kind of people that my mother told me to stay away from when I was growing up. We were allowed to play with certain kids in our community, but there were certain people, certain kids and families that my mom said, "Uh uh-uh. You're not hanging around with them. You don't run with them, and I I better not catch you doing it. Because there will be consequences. You see, these kids and their families, they exhibited a lot of these characteristics. So be warned. Peter has warned us. Pay attention. Be on guard. Don't let them lead you astray. Well, as we move on to verses 12 and 13, we see the conduct of false teachers. Again, it doesn't get any better, okay? So if you're hoping for a little reprieve here, I'm sorry, but it's not in these verses to come. We see that these false teachers are animalistic. Peter calls them, they, he says, they're like natural brute beasts. Now, when, when one thinks of a beast, one does not normally think of something that is well-behaved or well-mannered. Ever watched Beauty and the Beast? He's not well-behaved. He's not well-mannered. He, he, he at times tries to be, but he can't be. Because it's not in his nature, it's not in his character. Peter says, these false teachers are like brute beasts. They're governed by their passions and their desires. They do not give consideration or consequences to their actions. They just do what they desire, and then afterwards, they suffer whatever consequences there may be. Peter equates the false teachers to this kind of mentality. Wow. They're brute beasts. He, he says also that they are abusive. They're animalistic. They're abusive. They speak evil of things that they do not understand. Again, we see that these false teachers have a problem with their mouth. They have a problem with their tongue. They speak evil. It's the same word used in the previous verse. We said that it, it means to show open disrespect for something. This time it's for things that they do not understand. Even though they claim to have special knowledge of spiritual things, when it comes to the truth of God's word and God's ways, they're actually ignorant. And they, and they don't want to talk about them. And when they do, they speak evil. Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians 2.14, but the natural man does not receive the things of God for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, Because the natural man is spiritually discerned. That word discerned, it means unable to learn. You see, an unbeliever, a natural man, cannot learn the things of the Word of God because he's lacking the the ingredient that makes that learning possible. You know what that ingredient is? You got it. It's the Holy Spirit, okay? Once the Holy Spirit indwells you at the moment of salvation you then have the ability to understand the Word of God. It's not like you're not reading somebody else's mail, you're reading your own mail. Because the Spirit of God gives you that understanding and that that, that ability to understand. They're animalistic, they're abusive, they're atrocious. Peter says they carouse in the daytime. In other words, they live a riotous or wild living the kind of living that normally is reserved for nighttime so the darkness will cover their debased lifestyle. But these false teachers, when it comes to teaching that, what is, that which is not true, they're so arrogant that they do it. They do not try to hide their sinfulness. They simply live it out all the time. They're not ashamed of talking uh, falseness, falsehoods, anytime, all the time. It's atrocious. They carouse in the daytime. Well, if we move on to verses 13 through 17, we see the corruptness of false teachers. Okay, so we have here the conduct of the false teachers and the character of the false teachers, but now we see that they are, they're totally corrupt. Now, we need to understand uh, that Peter here describes these false teachers. Sometimes as, as well-meaning Christians, we take a soft stance on false teachers, we just give them a little bit of time, give them a little bit of room, maybe they'll come right. Peter wants us to be fully aware of their wickedness. So he puts it all, he puts it all on the t- table here. There's this word that I love to use, love to use, but we used it in South Africa, skelum. Skelum. You know what a skelum is? It's not a nice person. In fact, it's, Describe all those things we've talked about already about false teachers. A scallum. Just a, he, he's, just, he's bad to the bone. It's hard to find anything good in him. Okay? And so we see some more of the characteristics outlined here in their corruptness in verses 13 through 17. Peter says that they are appalling. They're appalling. They are spot and blemishes. In other words... There's dirt stains all over them. Now, when I decide I'm going to go out and change the oil in my vehicle, I don't wear a favorite shirt of mine that I (laughs) preach in on Sunday mornings. I have some t-shirts that are in my dresser that when I go out and I change the oil, because I know that I'm going to get dirt on, I know I'm going to get stains on. You know this, right? When you get oil on your clothes, it doesn't come out. It leaves a stain. It's, it's very hard to get it out. In fact, it's hard to get out of your clothes, but when you get it on the driveway or in the, in the garage floor, it's even harder to get out. You have to be careful. So yes, we have to deal with the dirt, but we don't have to let the dirt become part of us. And Peter says, the very nature of these scallums are their dirt stains and, and blemishes. You know, if we're, if we're actually calling it like it is, you know what that word blemish means? A scab. Okay. Now, once in a while we brag about our scabs because sometimes they make us look tough. But we don't want them to stay around forever. We want them to eventually heal and fall off and, and kind of the skin get back to normal, right? But these, these appalling false teachers are just dirt and scabs. Some people go to great lengths to cover up scabs and scars. <laughs> I, you know that I not too long ago had surgery on both my wrists, okay? So for a, a while, I had these these gel pads that you could put on and they were supposed to help the scar kind of disappear. Now, I, I look at my hand and I can see the scar where the surgeon cut, and it's not that bad. I'm glad that it doesn't look as bad as it did. And, and, and you know, we, we want to get rid of those scars because they're, they're not really that appealing. Before they came out with these gel pads, we used to, uh, we used to have vitamin E capsules that when you had a, you got a cut and it healed and the scab fell off and you didn't want the scar to stay there, so you, we poked a hole in the vitamin E capsule and we squirted the vitamin E on it and rubbed it in. Because they told us, I don't know who they is, but they said, if you put vitamin E on it, it'll go away. You put aloe on it, it'll go away. So we want to get rid of those things. We don't want them to be noticeable. We want to prevent that from happening. Not the false teachers they don't care. They're appalling. They're abhorrent. It says they're carousing in their own deception. They're living it up while misrepresenting Christ and his message. This is likely a reference to times of fellowship within the church. Can you believe it? That kind of stuff going on in the church, supposedly the church of God? They're using times that were meant to build one another up. That's why we call them times of fellowship. The word fellowship means to encourage, to build one another up. When we have fellowship meals, we use them as times to talk to one another, get to know one another, encourage one another, minister to one another, maybe find out some needs that are going on so we can help meet those needs. Those kinds of things are good things that happen at fellowship times. These false teachers were going around and picking and prodding, hey, what don't you like about this and what don't you like about that? And maybe, that's not what it's about. That's not why we have fellowship times. They're abhorrent. They use these times to tear down the work of God. In fact, if we go back to our illustration of scabs, they are marring these gatherings by their very presence as false teachers. And that's why I had a friend of mine recently tell me that when he, was, he, he started teaching false things in, in, after we left our church in South Africa in the leadership, um, they, they asked him to leave. Told him he wasn't welcome there. He didn't understand that. (laughs) And I told him, it's because you're teaching false stuff. You've called every pastor that's ever been pastor of this church a false teacher. What do you expect? They're doing what they're supposed to do to protect the family and the body of Jesus Christ where they gather. It's our job. It's our responsibility. And we want to make sure that we continue to carry out Abhorrent, they're also adulterous. They're immoral. Peter says they have eyes full of adultery. They're looking upon things within the church that they can exploit. Whether it's women or or newly saved individuals or children, they want to exploit them. They want to take advantage of them. He goes on to say they cannot cease from their sin. They're driven by their lusts. Their fantasies had become a regular part of their life. To them, it was normal and acceptable. They're out to entice unstable souls. The word entice means to lure or to bait. Anybody fish? You never, you never throw a hook into the water without something on it. Right? How successful are you going to be? Even the fish know not to bother with that kind of stuff. But what do you do? You put something on the hook or you put a lure in there that, that, that disguises the hook and, and you, you spend hours casting your line out into the water hoping for a fish to be enticed to bite on your hook to reel it in so you can end its life. That's, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with fishing. Okay, I love to go fishing with my grandpa. We did it almost uh, all the time in the summer. Okay, But the false teacher... He's out to entice you and to kill you spiritually. That's what his goal is, to get you away from the truths of God. They entice unstable souls. They, they try to trap the unstable individuals within the body of Christ. They lurk around. They, 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 they kind of, just kind of sleazy looking around and trying to, trying to capture those individuals, these the unex, unaccept, or unexpecting individuals. They're also accomplished. They're trained in their covetous practices. I, a week ago, I kind of got a surprise. Or a week or so ago, Jehovah's Witnesses knocked on our door. They haven't knocked on our door for a long time. I think they were happy that my wife answered. Oh, new, new people live here. It's not the man who always gives us a hard time. And Barb starts you know, challenging them a little bit and, and then I walked around the corner and just said a few things and they were ready to leave. You see, when the Jehovah's Witnesses, before they send them out, they train them. They, th- here's the script. You need to be familiar with it. You need to talk. These are your talking points. These are how you get people to, to become interested in what we're presenting to you. Mormons are the same way. I think I told you a couple weeks ago we were in the mall up at Destiny, and some, some girl came up and started asking me questions, or asking Barb. I don't know why they go to her first. Um, went to Barb and, and she said something to Barb about the church, and, uh, and, and I came up behind her and I said, Oh, yeah, you mean this? And, well, not quite. And Barb said, I'm going to the bathroom. She <laughs> walked down the hall, and away she went. Um, a couple seconds later, she goes, So I, 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 I guess you're not going to change. Nope, not. I have the truth. why would I change from the truth? Why would I leave the truth? you see they 're accomplished. you see they you know we all have favorite sports teams. We all have favorite athletes and 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 these athletes they don 't go out there on a, if they 're a football player they don 't go out there on a Sunday or Thursday this past week and play without practicing. If you have a fantasy football team you should on Saturday, check the status of all your players to find out if they've practiced during the week. Because if they haven't practiced during the week, there's a good chance that they're not going to play on Sunday. And they'll tell you, he's on the bench, put somebody else in. I don't always get that done for some reason. That's why I'm two and eight or whatever my record is. But anyway... We can tell that so-and-so is going to be on the bench or so-and-so is on injured reserve. My best player is probably out for the rest of the season. I should have traded him a couple of weeks ago when everybody was asking, will you want to trade this guy? Um, But anyway, you need to know because if they don't practice Monday through Friday, they can't go out and play on Sunday. They don't bring people off the street to play for them because they haven't practiced. They're not ready These false teachers, they don't go out without practicing. They study, they learn, they're crafted in their wickedness, if you will. Can I tell you this? A false teacher is not an innocent victim. There may be people who have been snookered by the false teachers, and they may be sort of an innocent victim. But the ones who are the false teachers, they know exactly what they're doing. And that's what they want to do. Like, a, like an athlete win, focused on winning the prize, these false teachers thrive on the thrill of leading people astray. It's like a notch on the belt. ha, <laughs> I got another one. Abandoned is another word that could be used to describe these false teachers. They have forsaken the right way and have gone astray. These false teachers may have at one time knew what was right. It, don't you find it interesting that a lot of times these false teachers Doctrines, false teachers always have something that is very close to the truth to catch you, to weave you in, to snag you in. But then once you get past their little deceptive byline, you begin to understand, hey, this is not... I mean, I'll tell you, I always take from the Jehovah's Witnesses what they're offering so I can read it and know what they're teaching so I can help you know what you need to defend against. And they always, first page, front page, always something that you say, hey, that's pretty good, that sounds good. Right. And you turn it over and you find, uh-huh, that's not right. That's not true. These false teachers probably knew the truth at one point, and they turned their back on it. They walked away from it. There's a... There's religious leaders of Jesus today that could be cited as, an example, as examples of those that had forsaken the right way. They had the Holy Scriptures. They knew what God expected of them and they, what God wanted, but they chose not to. I think of the, the, the high priests of the day. They should have known. The Pharisees. They should have known. Because after all, they were studying the Word. They were studying the Old Testament, but they twisted it. They made it fit their own scheme. And so Peter gives some examples. He talks about Balaam. How would you like to go down in, in, in the word of God for all of history as an example like Balaam here? Numbers chapters 22 through 24 tell us of the false prophet Balaam. He was, he was asked by the king of Moab to pronounce a curse on Israel. The king was going to pay him a handsome sum of money to curse Israel. Balaam agreed. He said, yeah, okay, I, I, I'll do that. You know what Balaam was? He was a prophet for hire. He, he, so he says, I'll, I'll do that. I'll pronounce a curse on Israel. The, 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 the price seems fair. Works for me. So he sets out on his donkey to pronounce a curse on the nation of Israel. And, and you, know, you, you have to believe that if this guy was really a prophet, God had been trying to communicate to him, hey, don't do this, don't do this. And he doesn't listen. So his donkey, trying to resist going forward because God is able to work even with donkeys. Okay? Uh, so the donkey's trying to stop, and Balaam's beating the donkey. Get going, you stupid... You know what he could have said. You stupid donkey, move it! So the donkey starts moving forward reluctantly, and then he runs Balaam into the side of the mountain. Imagine he's got not much a lot, not much protection. He's on a donkey, and the donkey says, Okay, if you're gonna be stupid and not listen to what God's saying, I'm gonna do something else. So he runs him into the side of the mountain. Balaam's probably all scrapped, scratched up, scraped up, you know, like road rash kind of stuff. Oh, you stupid donkey. So he hits the donkey again. <laughs> and the donkey, I don't know, maybe looked at him. What is your problem? Why do you keep beating me when I'm trying to protect you? Can you imagine Balaam? What? How's that happening? Never happened before. You think you got paid well for trying to pronounce a curse. Can you imagine how much you get paid? to take your do- talking donkey on the road? Balaam doesn't get it. He, he, he can't figure it out. This donkey's talking to me because yeah, you're too stupid to understand what God wants you to do. He's got to use a donkey to talk to you to get your thinking in the right direction. He still doesn't learn. So he goes to pronounce a curse on Israel and he opens his mouth and what happens? God changes his curse to a blessing. Boy, how'd that go over with the king who hired him? Not very well. Hey, I, hired, I paid you to curse your blessing. Balaam says, I can't do anything else. When I open my mouth, that's what comes out. It must be God. Of course, it's God. I wouldn't want to go down in all of history with that kind of example. Hey, look at Balaam. He's too dumb. He had to, a donkey had to talk to him. We don't need a donkey, my friends. We have this, we have the Word of God. Don't listen and pay attention to anybody without checking it out, what it says in the pages of scripture. I don't care if it's me or somebody else. Make sure what they're saying to you balances, comes with an accurate portrayal of what God's word says. That's why I love expository preaching. I pray about it. I ask God what I should preach on, and and then He gives a burden on my heart, and I say, "Okay, it's Second Peter." So I open up Second Peter, and by the way, He doesn't speak to me and tell me that. Okay, um, I open up my Bible, and I, and I say, "Okay, Simon Peter, a bondservant apostle of Jesus." Christ, I read the text. I study the text. I tell you on Sunday morning what the text says. I don't come up with my own stuff. I, I, yeah, I come up with my own stories to make it so you can connect with it and you can take it home and say, hey, this is what I need to do in my life. I can't come up with better stories than Balaam, though. <laughs> come on. So he uses this example how the, they once knew the truth, and yet they've abandoned it. You see, Balaam wanted to be popular. He wanted to be rich. He wanted to be wealthy. So what he was willing to compromise and he forsook what was right in hopes of financial gain. Boy, can I tell you, that was an awful mistake. And that's what these false teachers do. We go on and we see that they're artificial. There's there's nothing but hype with these false teachers. Peter makes reference to a, a great need in the Middle East, that need being water. He referred to two things that had promise of meeting the great need, Excuse me, but in the end they only brought disappointment. Wells without water. Can you imagine going through the desert? Not on a horse with no name, but going through the desert and and you, you, you see, oh, there's a well up there. And so what are you, you going to do? Because you haven't had water in your canteen for a while. You're going to go to that well and you're going to lower the bucket and you're going to hope you hear this splash at the bottom where your bucket fills up with water and you haul, you haul it up and you fill your canteen and any other bottle you have with you so you have water for the rest of your journey. But if you lower that bucket and all you hear is a... Oh, man. I thought I was going to have some water. Wells without water mean absolutely nothing. In fact, it might even be worse than nothing because you had your hopes all built up. Finally, I'm going to get some water. Finally, I'm going to be able to think straight and see straight and live right because I'm hydrated. No water. What a disappointment. Clouds carried by a tempest In other words, there's a dark storm, there's clouds that promise rain, but at the end they just blow over without giving that much needed rain. I have a friend on Facebook who gets me my Apple stuff uh, at good prices. He lives in San Jose. He's always posting about their need for rain. Their need for water. He posts pictures of the reservoirs, how they, you can see where the water used to be normally at that level, and now it's like hardly anything. And we, lived in a, we lived in a city, uh, a region that uh, every year we depended on lots and lots and lots and lots of rain in the winter to fill up the dams and the reservoirs, and every year we would get a report. Uh, this is the level of the reservoirs around the Cape and if they weren't full at the end of the winter season, we knew what was coming. Water restrictions were coming. Sometimes you could, I, I mean, they, they told you that you could or you couldn't water your yard. And, and believe me, I've seen police officers stop at homes and, and go and say, hey, your sprinkler's on. Why is, it, why is your sprinkler on? It's not a day to water. Or we're in restrictions. You're not allowed to wa- It's not fun. It's not pleasant. When you see a cloud in the sky that's dark and looks like it should be raining where that cloud is coming from, and you you look, you say, oh, there's no rain. There's nothing but disappointment. Uh, Andy will say, oh, it just blew over. We thought we were going to get some nice rain from this storm, and it just blew over. That's the very nature and the characteristic of these faults. They're, They're artificial. They might look like they have something, but in reality, they have nothing. Can I tell you this? There is so much at stake when you lead people astray. There's so much at stake when you stand behind a desk like this and preach. You have so much responsibility. That's why Paul says, let not many of you desire to be pastors or teachers, because there comes a heavy account with it. If you don't speak the truth, you will pay the consequences. These guys take nothing of it. They're, so he, Peter pronounces a judgment on these false teachers, and here's the consequences. In verse twelve, we're going to go through this quickly. We're not going to get to verse to point number two because there's too much there. Anyway. Uh, we see the, the, the consequences of the false teachers. They will be destroyed in verse 12. You see, you can't go against God and hope to win. Why? Because he's all-knowing, he's all-powerful, and he's everywhere present. You never win with that. You never win going against that. Verse 12 also said they will utterly perish. Utterly. That means eternal damnation. Verse 13 says, they will receive the wages of unrighteousness. We all like to get paid at the end of the week or the end of the two-week period, right? They're going to get paid all right, but they're not going to get paid what they want. They're going to get paid the wages of unrighteousness. Verse 13, what is the wages of unrighteousness? Paul says the wages of sin, i.e. unrighteousness. The wages of sin is what? Death. That's what they'll get paid. That's not just physical death, it's eternal death, separation from God in a place called hell. They are called accursed children in verse 14. How would you like that? How would you like it for your mom or dad to come up and say, oh, you're just cursed, and be serious about it. They're accursed children. And then in verse 17, we see that the blackness of darkness is reserved for them forever. Again, a very unpleasant situation. The blackness of darkness. I've been in places where there's absolutely zero light. You can't stand it for very long. We went and visited the castle in Cape Town, and they had a dungeon, literally a dungeon. The dungeon is made out of thick concrete. The walls are dark and dingy. There are no windows in the dungeon. They took us in the dungeon, and they closed the door. And they told us from the start, we're going to close the door, so if you can't handle the the, the pitch black, don't go in. Oh, I'm going in. So I go in. I think Barbie went in with me. But you go in there, and and they they tell you, it's going to happen. We're going to do it here. We're closing the door now. And as they start to close the door, the light starts to disappear. And when the door is completely closed, it's utter blackness. You You can't even see that your hand or sense that your hand is right here. That's how black it is. That's how dark it is. They said that when they used to keep people in there, they they could only keep them in there for a certain period of time. Otherwise, they went crazy. That's the power of darkness. That's why many times people who live that way cannot understand truth because they've gone crazy. They've gone mad with the falseness of what they're perpetrating. So you see these, these five punishments described by Peter. It's just... Different ways of saying the same thing. God has a place for those that deliberately lead people astray from truth into error. He takes it seriously. That place that he has prepared for them is called hell. It's the fact that there is a place in hell reserved especially for these kind of people that try to lead others astray. God is not tolerant with these wicked impostors, these wolves dressed in sheep's clothing. So if God is not tolerant with them, neither should we be. We should not be accepting of those who teach what is false, and we should stand. Jude says it this way, stand having done what? Have, having done all to stand. You can't, you can't put any more effort into it than what you've put into it. You've stood for the truth no matter what, come what may, you're still standing for the truth. It may cost you. It may cost you friendship. It may cost you life. But can I tell you this? If it goes to that point for you, you can be encouraged and comforted by the fact that you will hear one day, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joy of, of, your, of my rest. Not, not my rest, but God's rest. Enter into the joy of God's rest. We'll pick the rest of this up probably after the Christmas season because next Sunday is the first Sunday of December and we'll start our Christmas rotation. Can you believe it? First Sunday of December already. But if you have any questions, please don't hesitate to ask. And, and can I tell you this? Let me just wrap this up with this. We're not, we're not talking about people who have a different of a theological opinion. Um, I'll, I'll even go so far as to say when when, or if there's a rapture. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about people who say um, there's a different way to salvation. There, 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 there's a different way to sanctification. We call them the, the cardinal doctrines, if you will. Now, don't get me wrong, I'll take almost as strong a stance on somebody who's got a different eschatological view than I do because your eschatology, sorry, your, your, dot, your view of end times things has an impact on the way you do church. I, I will take a stand on that all day long. I won't call them unbelievers just because they're post-millennial or preterist or whatever other kind of nonsense they want to believe, but I will correct them or try to, but I will not call them a heretic I will not question their salvation there, there's a difference and that's what peter's talking about and that's why it's so serious because he's talking about ways other than jesus's shed blood on the cross of calvary to please god there is no other way it's only one and that's through jesus christ our gracious heavenly father we come before you today and yes we've talked about heavy things uh, and, and yet at the same time father i want us to understand that we have hope we have um the 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 fact that Jesus paid the penalty for our sins. And if we hold fast to the word of God, if we believe the pages of scripture, then we don't have to fear the eternal separation from you in a place called hell. Father, give us wisdom, give us discernment. Uh, Thank you for Peter's explanation of what false teachers are like, what they teach, what they preach, what their goal is, what their desire is. Uh, And Father, keep us safe from those kind of people. And and we know that you've given us everything that we need to be safe because you've given us your word and you've given us your spirit so we can understand what is true and what is right. Thank you for that. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Mark's gonna come and lead us in our...